Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I ask our records department to tell me how many college-age youth we have in the church. They responded, 1,974,001. Good, I thought. I'll speak to the one. (laughs) You uh, may be here in this congregation or somewhere in any one of 170 countries. You, the one of nearly 2 million, are in the early morning of your life while I am in the late evening of mine. My college life began at Weber College, then a very small junior college. World War II had just ended. Most of the men in our class were recently returned from the military service. We were, by and large, more mature than college students of your day. We'd been through the war and carried with us many memories. Some of them we held on to, and others we were glad to have fade away. We were more serious and did not enter into fun and games as much as you do. We wanted to get on with our lives and knew that education was the key. We took the insignias and labels and sometimes even the buttons off our uniforms, mixed them with odds and ends of civilian clothes and wore them to school. That's all we had to wear. At military training camps, we'd been marched from place to place in formation. Often, we would sing marching songs. At college, I attended the Institute of Religion classes. We had our own marching songs. I remember one of them. A root-de-toot, a root-de-toot, oh, we are the boys of the Institute. (laughs) We don't smoke, and we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do. Some folks say we don't have fun. We don't. (laughs) Some some laughed with us and others laughed at us. Whatever ridicule they intended, their mocking was of no concern to us. We'd gained personal testimonies of the gospel. We'd decided long since that we'd live the gospel and not be ashamed of the church or the history or any part of it. The whole focus of our lives in the military had been on destruction. That's what war is about. We were inspired by the noble virtue of patriotism. To be devoted to destruction without being destroyed yourself spiritually or morally was the test of life. I did not serve a mission during those years. Staying close to the Book of Mormon has, I think, made up for that. That witness had come little by little. Together with my wife, we made our way through the ordinary challenges of life, getting through school, finding employment, raising a family. You, too, live in a time of war, the spiritual war that will never end. War itself now dominates the affairs of mankind. Your world at war has lost its innocence. 
There's nothing, however crude or unworthy, that is not deemed acceptable for movies or plays or music or conversation. The world seems to be turned upside down. Formality, respect for authority, dignity and nobility are mocked. Modesty and neatness yield to slouchiness and shabbiness in dress and grooming. The rules of honesty and integrity and basic morality are now ignored. Conversation is laced with profanity. You see that in art and literature, in drama and education. Instead of refined, they become coarse. You have decisions almost every day as to whether you will follow those trends. You have many tests ahead. As a boy, President Joseph S. Smith, son of Hiram, came west in 1848 with his widowed mother. He was called as a missionary to Hawaii when he was 15 years of age. He spent much of the next four years alone. He was released in 1857 at the age of 19, just the age we call missionaries now. Penniless, he stopped in California to earn money for warm clothes. With another man, Joseph took passage on a mail wagon. They traveled all night and all day, and finally, in the day, early daylight, they stopped near a ranch for breakfast. The passenger and the mail carrier began to prepare a breakfast while Joseph went a short distance from camp to gather wood and look after the horses. A wagon load of drunken men from Monte came in view on their way to San Bernardino to kill the Mormons, as they boasted. The oaths and foul language uh, which they uttered between their shooting and swinging of their pistols were almost indescribable. They were all cursing the Mormons and uttering boastfully what they would do when they met them. They caught sight of the mail wagon. His companion and the mail carrier, fearing for their safety, had retired behind the chaparral, leaving the baggage and their equipment exposed and unprotected. Just as one of the drunken men approached, young Joseph F. came into view, too late to hide. The ruffian was swinging his weapon and uttering the most blood-curdling oaths and threats ever uttered against the Mormons. I dared not run, says Joseph F. Smith, <clears throat> though I trembled for fear, which I dared not to show. I therefore walked right up to the camp fire and arrived in just a minute or two before this desperado. He came directly toward me, swinging his revolver in my face with an oath, cried out, Are you a blankety-blank Mormon? Young Joseph looked him straight in the eye and answered with emphasis, Yes, sir, he died in the wool, true blue, through and through. The desperado's arms both dropped to his side as it paralyzed, his pistol in one hand, and said in a subdued voice, offering his hand, Well, you are the blankety-blank pleasantest man I ever met. Shake. I'm glad to see a fellow who stands up for his convictions. And he turned and left. 
Joseph F. Smith became the sixth president of the church. His son, Joseph Fielding Smith, who wrote the account I just gave, became the 10th president of the church. I knew President Smith very well. In 1970, he called me to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. You will not face the kind of test that Joseph F. Smith faced. In ways, yours are going to be harder. The Book of Mormon became the cornerstone of my testimony. In the eighth chapter of First Nephi, read about Lehi's dream. He told his family, Behold, I have dreamed a dream, or in other words, I've seen a vision. You may think that Lehi's dream or vision has no special meaning for you, but it does. You are in it. All of us are in it. Nephi said, All scripture is likened to us that it might be for our profit and learning. Lehi's dream or vision of the iron rod has in it everything a young Latter-day Saint needs to understand the test of life. Lehi saw a great and spacious building, a path following a river, a midst of darkness, and an iron rod which led through the midst of darkness. The tree of life was there whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. Read it carefully, then read it again. If you hold to the iron rod, you can feel your way forward with the gift of the Holy Ghost, conferred upon you at the time you were confirmed a member of the Church, and it will comfort you. You'll be able to feel the influence of the angels as Nephi did and feel your way through life. The Book of Mormon has been my iron rod. Lehi saw multitudes of people pressing forward toward the tree. The great and spacious building was filled with people, both old and young, both male and female, <clears throat> and their manner of dress was exceedingly fine. And they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers toward those who had come at and were partaking of the fruit. One word in this dream or vision should have special meaning to you young Latter-day Saints. The word is after. It was after they had found the tree that they became ashamed, and because of the mockery of the world, they fell away. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them, and they fell away in the forbidden paths and were lost. And great was the multitude that did enter into this strange building. And after they did enter into that building, they did point the finger of scorn at me and those who were partaking of the fruit also. That was the test. And then Lehi said, but we heeded them not. And that was the answer. Lehi's son Nephi wrote, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all who diligently seek him. 
For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well in these times as in times of old, and as well in times of old as in times to come. Wherefore, the course of the Lord is one eternal round. All of the symbolism in Lehi's dream was explained to his son Nephi, and he wrote about it. At your baptism and confirmation, you took hold of the iron rod, but you are never safe. It is after you have partaken of that fruit that your test will come. I think now and then of one of our classmates, very bright, good-looking, faithful in the church, and drenched with talent and ability. He married well and rose quickly to prominence. He began to compromise to please the world and please those around him. They flattered him into following after their ways, which were the ways of the world. Sometimes it is so simple a thing as how you groom yourself and what you wear. Like a young woman teasing her hair endlessly to give the impression that it has not been combed. And <laughs> the young man dressing in slouchy clothes, wanting to be in style. Somewhere in little things, my classmate's grasp to the iron rod loosened a bit. His wife held on with, to the rod with one hand and onto him with the other. Finally, he slipped away from her and let go of the rod. Just as Lehi's vision or dream predicted, he fell away into forbidden paths and was lost. Largely because of television, instead of looking over into that spacious building, we are in effect living inside of it. That's your fate in this generation. You're living in that great and spacious building. Now, who wrote this incredible vision? There's nothing like it in the Bible. Did Joseph Smith compose it? Did he write the Book of Mormon? That is harder to believe than the account of angels and golden blaze. Joseph Smith was only 24 years old when the Book of Mormon was published. You will be safe if you look like and groom like and act like an ordinary Latter-day Saint. Dress modestly, attend your meeting, pay tithes, take the sacrament, honor the priesthood, honor your parents, Follow your leaders, read the scriptures, study the Book of Mormon, and pray, always pray. An unseen power will hold your hand as you hold to the iron rod. Will this solve all of your problems? Of course not. That would be contrary to the purpose for your coming into mortality. It will, however, give you a solid foundation on which to build your life. All of the midst of darkness will cover you at times so much that you'll not be able to see your way even a short way ahead. You won't be able to see it clearly. But you can feel your way. With the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can feel your way ahead through life.
grasp the iron rod and do not let go. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, you can feel your way through life. We live in a time of war, that spiritual war that will never end. Moroni warned us that the secret combinations of Gadianton are head among all people. Wherefore, O ye Gentile, and that term Gentile in that place in the Book of Mormon refers to us in our generation. It is wisdom in God that these things should be shown to you, that you thereby may repent of your sins and suffer not that these murderous combinations shall get above you. Wherefore, the Lord commandeth you, when you'll see these things come among you, that you shall awake to a sense of your awful situation because of this secret combination which shall be among you. Atheists and agnostics make non-belief their religion and today organize in unprecedented ways to attack faith and belief. They are now organized and they pursue political power and you'll be hearing much about them and from them. Much of their attack is indirect in mocking the faithful in mocking religion. The types of Sherem and Nehor and Korihor from the Book of Mormon live among us today. Their argument are not so different from those in the Book of Mormon. You who are young will see many things that will try your courage and test your faith. And all of the mocking does not come from outside of the church. Let me say that again. All of the mocking does not come from outside of the church. Be careful that you don't fall into that category. The Lord promised, if you're prepared, you need not fear. Even Mormon faced the same challenges, he said, because of his weakness in writing, I fear the Gentiles shall mock at our word. And the Lord said unto him, Fools mock, but they shall mourn, and my grace is sufficient for the meek, that they shall take no advantage of your weakness. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weaknesses that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Embedded in that dream or vision is the pearl of great price. Both Lehi and Nephi saw a virgin bearing a child in her arms one who should prepare the way, John the Baptist, the ministry of the Son of God. And they saw 12 others following the Messiah. And the heavens opened and the angels ministered to them. The multitudes were blessed and healed and the crucifixion of Christ. All of this they saw in that dream or vision and the wisdom and pride of the world opposing his work. And that's what we face now. Now, 
to you the one of two million, I speak individually, just as the prophets and apostles in times of past did. We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, and we prophesy of Christ, that our children may know the source they may look to for the remission of their sins. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things that you should do. And then Nephi added, Wherefore now, after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it will be because ye ask not, neither do ye not. Wherefore ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. For behold, I say unto you, that if ye will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what you should do. You live in an interesting generation where trials will be constant in your life. Learn to follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost. It is to be a shield and a protection and a teacher for you. Never be ashamed or embarrassed about the doctrines of the gospel or about the standards that we teach in the church. You always, if you are faithful to the church, will be that much different from the world at large. And you have the advantage of being assured that you can be inspired in all of your decisions. You have many decisions ahead of you, small decisions that have to do with getting through school, finding a life's companion, finding a, uh, an occupation, settling in, raising children, in a world that is turned upside down. Your children will be exposed so much more than we were in our generation. We notice as we travel about the church that our young people are stronger than heretofore. When I hear them speak in conferences and in sacrament meetings, I hear them quote the scriptures, and I hear them protecting the standards, and I don't hear the cynical mocking that is typical of those who are not faithful and not truly converted. Now, we preside over a church of 12 billion plus and growing. Most of it is out in the world. Most of it is international now. And uh, most of the church by that standard live a different life than you do. Many of them are not uh, have the opportunity of going to college, but they live the gospel. And it's a wonderful, powerful thing to see them and to be among them. As we think of you, the young Latter-day Saints, and think of the Book of Mormon, and think of the dream or vision that Lehi had, we see that there are prophecies in there that can be specifically applied, applied to your life. Read it again, beginning the eighth chapter of First uh, Nephi. Read on to uh, the counsel that's given. He talks about life after death, what happens to the spirit, what happens in the spirit world. 
And all the things that you need to know are there. Read it and make it a part of your life. And then the criticism or mocking of the world, the mocking of the church, will be of no concern to you, as it is no concern to us. We just move forward doing the thing to, for, for which we're called to do and know that the Lord is guiding us. I pray the blessings of the Lord upon you in your work. Pray the blessings of the Lord upon you in your lives as you move forward from the morning of your life, where you are now, to the late evening of your lives, where I am now. And you'll know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. You will face many great and tumultuous and difficult things in your life. And you'll also enjoy great inspiration and joy in your life. You're better than we were. I have the conviction that against what was surely coming, the prophecies that were given, the Lord has reserved special spirits to bring forth at this time to see that his church and kingdom is protected and move forward in the world. I invoke his blessings upon you as a servant of the Lord and bear the testimony to you that the gospel is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.